Security crew, thank you guys so much for coming in early. It's a hot one up in here this morning. Holy smokes. But they're coming in early and practicing all throughout the week. I'm just so grateful for our worship team and the ministry they provide for us. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Alone, and I'm the pastor of our Rogers Park Network. We have three locations here in Rogers Park. We meet at Gale Elementary in North Rogers Park here at Sullivan. And then also we have a church plant, a house church that movement that we're seeking to start through Phil Adams and Ruth Adams over in West Rogers Park. And so God is up to good things here in the north side of our city. For those of you who don't know, maybe get to know a little bit of our history. We've been here for five and a half years, and God has just done a wonderful thing, drawing all the nations to, him, to himself. If you were to come up here in front of the stage and look out of the balcony, the flags that are hanging from up there are just some of the nations that have worshipped with us on Sunday. We probably got to add about ten more. But literally, when we came up here, when we said we wanted to be a part of a movement where God was drawing all the nations to himself, God was making it happen by his grace. And so if you're a guest here with us this morning, we welcome you and we invite you in to the work that God is doing and the mission that he's on. But before we get going, I also want to talk a little bit about Baptism Sunday. Earlier this morning at 7 a.m. at North Avenue Beach, all of our park locations, nine wide, there were 124 people that were baptized this morning. Yeah. The water was cold and it was good. And I confess that I'm a little juiced this morning. I'm really looking to get into this message this morning because this is really the epitome of our DNA when we came up here and planted and what it means to be on mission. And so we're stepping aside of our study through the book of Judges and we're going to go a little bit topical this morning. But before we dig in, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together this morning and that you've gathered your people together, your children once again, to come and worship you. And Father, right now, I ask, O oh Lord, that you would be the direct object of our admiration this morning. That by your Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would remind us of who we are in you. And that you have work for us to do. And so, Father, I pray, O oh Lord, now that your word would go forth with power. That any of us here in this auditorium would step into the background and the Lord Jesus would be clearly on the forefront of our gaze this morning. May he be exalted. May he be honored. May his name be lifted up as we just sung, as we speak his name. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to begin our time together by moving us towards a question. Imagine with me for a moment that your best friend has just texted you and offered you a free courtside ticket to attend a Bulls playoff game with him later on that evening at the United Center. And let's just imagine for a moment that the Bulls are good. <laughs> They're in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals with the best team they've had since the 90s when Michael Jordan, the second greatest basketball player... Grace the hardwood. But you know who the first one is, though, right now, right? It's me. <laughs> At least that's what my daughter Lincoln says. And I'm going with that. But this is going to be a great experience, right? Courtside seats to watch some of the greatest athletes in the world showcase their talent and their teamwork. So you say yes. You text back, I am in, baby. This is going to be great. And we get home from work, you rush to your closet, and you dig out your old number 23 Bulls jersey to put on. It's a little tight these days, but no one's going to stop your flow tonight. You grab an Uber with your friend, arrive at the game, and you nestle in your seat holding your $6 Coke and your $12 nachos. And you're immersing yourself in the pregame tickling of the senses, bobbing your head to the music. As the Jesse White tumblers are flipping and flying all throughout the air during the layup line. And as the cheer squad is shooting t-shirts up into the balcony with those awesome rocket launchers. And throughout the electric atmosphere of the game, it's neck and neck, it's back and forth. But halfway through the third quarter and coming out of the timeout, you find yourself in a contemplative moment. And you're staring across the court and you ask yourself a very profound question. I wonder who's getting the most out of their investment of all that practice time during the year. 
I wonder who's having more fun, the players that are checking into the game or the ones that are going to be sitting back on the bench. Well, just like any basketball team or any other team for that matter, God also has a team and he's called the church. Where every, everyone say every. Some of you I could just sense didn't say that when I said that. Where every, everyone say every. Every member has been sent out into the world to make him known. Which is the mission of God and what he has for us and the renewing of creation and what he's called us into. That we who are his people who are being renewed are being a part of the work that he is doing. But why does it seem that so many of us are stuck or even content with merely sitting on the sidelines or sitting on the bench of merely attending Sunday morning services or being a part of a small group during the week? Now let me pull over here just for a second before I don't freak anybody out. Making church attendance on Sunday is good and essential for followers of Jesus. Make it a priority to be at church on Sunday for God does wonderful things when we're gathered together. Amen? Hebrews 10.25 commands us, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So hear me, it should be a priority to get to service on Sunday and get involved in a small group so that you're known and so that you can be encouraged and so that you can grow and so you can be encouraged by the people in your group who know you best and can get to know you more intimately. But if you're a member of Park Community Church this morning, and we just came out of a timeout, your number has been called. It's time to get into the game. There are no bench warmers here on this team. Can I get an amen? Everybody gets some clock. As has been already introduced some weeks ago, starting yesterday with Hands Across Chicago, and through August 23rd, we are part of, a, are part of a citywide movement called Jesus Summer, in which we've dubbed that park 40 Days of Presence. You guys are probably sick of hearing about it. But it's where churches, literally from all across Chicagoland, are coming together in unity to show and share the love of Christ to our neighbors and to our communities together, to be a church in the city for the city, to be who we are in Matthew chapter 5, the light of the world. A city on a hill, which Jesus said, which cannot be hidden. And that a light would shine before men so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. But the question is, what can hold us back from this? What are the underlying factors which can cause us as the church, a city on a hill, to merely be a flicker rather than a flame. Well, one factor is theological, and it's how we view God. Now, usually when we talk about the attributes of God and seeking to define Him, we talk about God being holy in Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is full of His glory. He's all-powerful. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. He's all-knowing. He knows the beginning and the end. He's omnipresent. You can run to the ends of the earth and hide in a cave, and there he's going to meet you. That God is the king, Psalm 47. That he's righteous and just, Psalm 89. And that he's the truth in John 14. And that he's love in 1 John 4. But more often than not, when we're compiling our list of the attributes of God and seeking to define him, we leave out a very, 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 very important attribute. And it's that God is missional. In other words, he's a sending God. If what we behold is what we're becoming, could it be that we're spending too much time in the bench and now not out in the game of making him known because we're not seeing God for all who he is and what he's doing in the world and who he's doing it through? 
Did you know that some 800 times the Hebrew or Greek word for send or sent is used throughout the Bible? 200 times when send or sent is used, it's God is the direct subject. In other words, he's the one that's doing the sending. 44 times in the New Testament, Jesus himself is referred to as being sent. And the most comprehensive use of the term is found in the Gospel of John, where it's used 60 times. Concluding with John's all-encompassing version of the Great Commission after Jesus' resurrection in John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. We're going to come back to this shortly. This is going to be our main text this morning. So one of the reasons that we may be spending too much time on the bench, not fully engaged, and is seeking to make God known is we may be lacking in an understanding of the missional character of God. And haven't picked up on the missional basis and thread of the Bible itself, which was sent to us so that we could know who God is and know him better. And then we can make him known and see what he's up to in the world. Our God is ascending God, which segues to our second contributor in spending too much time on the bench. And it's ecclesiological, and it's how we view the church. Now, when I think about our context, particularly in the West, there are probably four major views when we think about the nature of the church. And follow along with me here. And the first one is a classic. The church is a place where things happen. The church is a place or a building where people come and they hear the preaching of the word, where the ordinances are taking, uh, are taking place, such as baptism like this morning and the Lord's Supper, which we take every other week. It's where elders lead and where there's church discipline. It's where you confess sin and are confirmed or blessed by a pastor or a priest. It's where you go to be religious for an hour and a half or maybe hold membership. The second view of the church is what I like to call, this is just made up by me, so take it with a grain of salt. It's the hyper-holy 44 and no more church. Now 44 just rhymes with no more. I just made up the number. It would be 444, 134, whatever it could be. But this is the church that is the King James only version church. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the church that has dug deep, dug deep down into one unique facet of what compromises the church and made it the main thing. And there are extreme examples of this. I remember when Lindsay and I on our honeymoon way back in the day, we were driving through Atlanta and we pulled over to get some gas and there was this big giant van. Uh, it was a church van, you know, the big church tugboats, you know, them big church vans, you know what I'm talking about? And on the side of the van it said, if you don't use the King James Version Bible, you are going to hell. Yikes. But there are extreme versions of this. Gets kind of cultic. The third view is the most common today, and it's especially prevalent in the U.S., and it's the view that the church serves like a vendor, producing religious goods or services for people to consume. And this one right here, because it's so common, can be very subtle or hard, hard to detect. Because it appeals to our consumerist culture and the battle that we all face within us to get our own individual needs met, to be kind of entertained, to have things done for us. It's where church attenders or even members even come and expect the church staff or church professionals to provide a great Sunday experience, to have top-notch music, to have an incredible children's ministry with zip lines and fireworks and all that stuff. And if those things aren't provided for or up to par, then they go to another church maybe that has more resources or stuff so they can be a part of that and just kind of sit back and just let the professionals or the staff serve them, so to speak. Now, I, I want to pull over here. That may sound, sign of, sound kind of crass, but it's true. Trust me, I know. I have a lot of conversations with people. It's just like, what's going on there? 
But this view of the church, what it's done, it's, it's had good motives, but it feeds the church hopper, church shopper syndrome. You know what I mean? Where people just jump around and consume the best religious goods available with churches with gigantic buildings and really just gigantic campuses with all sorts of stuff to offer. Just go down the line. But they don't commit to the people that actually make up the church or the unique mission for what they've been called. That's not the nature of the church and how we're to view church. Now let me pull over aside again. I'm glad that Lindsay is my editor to my sermons before I give them. There are good reasons to leave a church. So I'm not talking to that. There are good reasons to leave a church. If sometimes your needs, spiritual needs, aren't being met, you're giving all what you can, you're pouring out but aren't getting poured into, well, you still have to have a conversation and then maybe you got to figure out, may God may be up to something new. But what I'm talking about here is the view where we just come and attend on Sunday mornings and are part of the community of faith, what makes up the church. Do you follow? Now, each of these views of the church, no doubt, have some really good things going for them. Preaching of the word and observing the ordinances, yes. Using a good translation of the Bible, yes. Seeking to be somewhat relevant in order to meet spiritual needs, yes. Yet I am convinced that they're not all what they should be, and I'm not proclaiming that we are a perfect church either. So I'd like to suggest to you this morning a fourth view, a biblical view of the church. That since we have a missionary or sending God, then we who as people who are identified with him are a sent church. We have been called, redeemed, and are to be equipped to be sent out into the world to make him known, to be part of his work in renewing of creation. Yes, we spend some time on the bench of Sunday morning church attendance and doing life throughout the week. But frankly, what gives you more a sense of taking hold of the life which is truly life? Sitting back in the barracks, so to speak, being cozy or getting out into the battle. Just honestly, together, just even by yourself personally, what gets you more fired up? What stirs your soul more? I don't know about you, but I hate sitting on the bench. I couldn't stand sitting on the bench. Now, fortunately, back in college, playing a little ball, I got to spend, by God's grace, a good amount of time on the court. But I tell you what, anytime the coach had a sub for me to come in, it was not pretty. I hated sitting on the bench. And so God bless Dan Dunn, my college basketball coach. He was awesome. But when someone would come in for me, I'd be like, oh, God, babe, man, come on. I'd do one of those things. I'd walk by, come on, coach, what's going on? And I'd be like totally exhausted. I'm helping out the team not in no sort of way. But you guys feel me, right? You've been a part of that, right? You, who wants to sit on the bench? You put in all that work, right? Getting your shots up, getting your Bible study in, whatever it may be. You don't do all that work to just sit there riding the pine. We have been brought into God's family and are sent out as his ambassadors, hailing the good news that Christ is the king. This is our present moment in history. Andy? When we think about the grand narrative of the Bible, this is what God has always been up to. When you, think, when you read throughout your Bible, think about putting it all together in the big picture of the Bible and what God has always been doing. Creation, God created everything, and it was good. It was good. It was good, and he had a good work for us to do, but we rebelled, right? We, we decided that we are not only going to break God's law, we're going to make up our own law. We're going to do what we think is best, and that's been the pattern ever since. But God, in his kindness, after the flood, decided to start all over again with Noah. And then there was the New Testament promise to Abraham that all nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you, Abram. And then not only you, but then I'm going to create a people. And then all throughout the New Testament, there's three ways that God's people were gathered together, all for the sake of mission. 
For example, when they're in Canaan, they're together in a confederacy of tribes. And here was the whole point of it. They didn't have no ruler. God was their king, but Moses had given them a set of laws to obey. And if they did that, it was going to be attractional to the nations that were surrounding them. So much so that, so much so that in Deuteronomy chapter 4, that if God's people were living righteously amongst the nations, it would literally draw people to them. That's why our community together is so important in how we live. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, it even goes so far to say as this, that they'll say, who is a God like your God? Who is close to you when you pray to him? That they would realize, wow, there's a God that truly exists and you can have a relationship. Second, there, it was during the temple era, when, temple era when Solomon was king. And the whole point of building that temple was, yes, that was a place where God met man. It was a picture of mediation. But the whole point was that was a place where God would answer prayer, not only for Solomon, but also God's people in 1 Kings chapter 8. And moving on towards the end of that chapter, it also said this, that foreigners would come and hear their prayers answered. Thirdly, we recognize throughout the Old Testament story that God's people were in exile. We think of Jeremiah 29, and what does God tell his people? He doesn't tell them to assimilate to the culture or withdraw. He says, you know, you know what? Get in there and mix it up with the people. Pray for the shalom of the city, for your enemies, that they may know the one true God. All throughout the storyline of the Bible, including the Old Testament, it was to make God known. Redemption culminated in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by his life, his death, and his resurrection. And the moment we are in history right now is New Testament mission. This is where we're at in the moment of history right now. John 20, 21, even as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. This is what we're up to until we finally get to the consummation when forever and always, truly, God is king and ruler over all and the new heavens and the new earth when the whole thing is completely restored. The scattering of the nations in Genesis 11 is going to culminate in Revelation 22, the healing of the nations. And we're going to be gathered together around the throne from every tribe, language, people, and nation. That's our story that we're in. Let's get this nailed down right now. Global mission or mission in general is not just for our global partners. Who have we sent and continued to support overseas who are in this kind of category of the church over here? No, being on mission is for you. Right now or wherever you live, Now. This is the moment that you are in, in this narrative of the world. You are on New Testament mission. It's your story. And God has redeemed you. And he's brought you in to send you out to be a part of that indomitable mission. To bring in people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. From every class, every color, and every culture. From every corner of creation until the consummation of the coming king, you are on mission. This is your story. That's it. No other story. This is the true story that you're in right now. New Testament mission. See yourself swallowed up in it. You guys, we don't merely come to church. We are the church. On the move in these next 40 days and beyond. Let's go back to verse 20 verse 21. Andy, you can put the other slide back up. Say it with me. And is it getting hot in here or what? Or is it just me? I'm just drenched right now. But say it with me. As the Father has sent me. Oh, you didn't say it with me. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We're walking out of here. We're memorizing that verse. Go ahead and share it with each other right now. You can look up here on the screen to cheat. Share it with your neighbor right now. We're memorizing this verse. Everybody got it memorized? Here we go again. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now let's do a little Bible study because small words mean a lot, right? The word as in our verse means likewise. 
Or you could say it like this. In a similar manner that the Father has sent me, even so, or in the same way, I am sending you. So what was Jesus up to? How was he sent in his earthly ministry? Now this is going to be very, very, very basic. But this is going to help bring some fuel for our 40 days and beyond. In Luke 24, two disciples are on the road to Emmaus and they're having a conversation. And Jesus comes alongside them veiled. They didn't recognize him in his resurrected and glorified state. And they say to him, don't you know what has happened recently? About Jesus of Nazareth. And here it is. This is how they described him. That he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. And Jesus' personal mission statement, Luke 19, verse 10, gives the goal of his word and deed ministry. I came to seek and save the lost. Now, what were some characteristics of his missional activity? Let's first know a very important one, and it's that Jesus was present. I love the message's version of the incarnation in John 1.14, that the word became flesh and blood, and it moved into the neighborhood. Some of you have moved into the neighborhood. It just blesses my soul. Christ came from heaven to earth. He just didn't call the shots and up heaven. Go do this, do this. No, he came and mixed it up. And it, didn't, and it also means that he didn't spend an inordinate amount of time in the synagogues or in the office, if you know what I mean. Jesus was hands-on. He was able to touch a leper in Matthew chapter 8. And he was able to be touched by a bleeding woman in Luke chapter 8. Your ministry of presence is important. Now one of the things that I've documented over the years in doing ministry in the city is encounters that I have with people in the city. And so afterwards, if I have an opportunity to share the gospel or something has really stuck out as a learning moment for me, I have compiled this list of all these city encounters that I've had with different sorts of people. And I'll never forget September 24th, 2010. So I'm just going to read it because if I just kind of say it, I'm going to spend like a half hour up here. So I'll just get through it. Seeking to share the love of Christ in Boys Town through sparking, sparking spiritual conver, conversations, we posted on flip charts the question, what would you like to say to Jesus? Or what would you like to say to the church? So we were out front of Roscoe's Bar down in Boys Town, and we just came out there with a big flip chart, and we had our black Sharpies, and we'd write on there, what would you like to say to Jesus, or what would you like to say to the church? And it's an incredible experience and fun to just have those kind of conversations and see what people write down. And people were active in writing their responses and the conversations were really good. But about a half hour or so into the conversation, I had one guy come up to me and we were really engaging and he was telling me his story. And if you've ever done some ministry down at Boys Town amongst the LGBT community on a Friday or Saturday night, it's a wonderful experience hanging out with just precious people. It's just like any other bar, bar scene. It's a little wild. It gets a little crazier as the night goes on. But I'm having a conversation with a guy. By the way, did you know that 80% of, of those that identify themselves as LBGTQ, 80% of them, did you know that they grew up in the church? Precious. So I'm having a conversation with this dear, dear guy, right? We're going back and forth, and I'm listening to his story, and some of it's just kind of heartbreaking. But then all of a sudden, as we're talking to him, we're kind of close, right? And he lunges forward, and he kisses me right above the lip. I'm like, whoa, dude. I'm backing up. I'm like, whoa, man, what are you doing? Hold up. Whoa. You know, and I know in my mind that in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss, Right? But he's taking that out of context, right? And so listen, man, like, we're just talking, having a good conversation here, right, okay? We're just, 
So I backed up a little bit. We're carrying on in the conversation. And he lunges forward again. And I was like, whoa, dude, hold up. Well, we finished the conversation. And we worked through that moment. Carried on with some more other conversations during the night. But it got to this one. We were all standing. This got really later into the night. It was getting to be really super wild out. And more, as more people were drinking, the more wild it gets, the more crazy the conversations had become. You wonder if you're even talking to anybody that's sober anymore. And we were all standing around, and there's about four or five of us engaging in separate congregation. There's a big group of men that came up. And they were kind of mocking and kind of harassing conversations that were going on. And I was at that point off to kind of by myself, so to speak. And I was just kind of observing all this. And there was a, a guy in that group who was a really eccentric guy. He was dressed like a girl, and he was going around to the different conversations, and he was kind of messing up the conversation and just popping off and saying stuff. But then I found out when he'd go back to the crowd, he was being groped by the other men as well. And so I was like, you know, I, I confess, and my thought was, I hope he doesn't come and talk to me. Because how he was just stirring everything up and what all I was seeing. I was like, you know what? I just want to hang back on this one. But guess what happened? <laughs> he makes a direct line right to me. His name was Reginald. And I'll never forget Reginald. And Reginald comes up to me. And I'll just break it down because it's better how I wrote it. After hearing a little bit of his story, we kind of got to a place where it seemed it was kind of just sober to talk, so to speak. And he said this. He said, you know, he recognized that he, he was a fashion designer. And he recognized that he acknowledged that he thought it was God that was given him the, the grace to really excel in his business. But as we continued to talk, as we are moving forward, he said, I didn't know what his purpose in life was. And for the last few years, he hadn't had this head knowledge, but he was really empty inside. Even though the people around him, the people that he was hanging with, would always say, God loves you for who you are. God loves you. God loves you. Which is, of course, the truth. But he still felt this emptiness inside. Because he didn't sense that he had a relationship with God. And so we just got right to it eventually. And he said that he loved him. And I said to him, I said, Reginald, I said, can you talk to me about tonight? What's going on with tonight? And this is where the power of the word just comes in, very simply. I said, if you truly love God as you say you do, then you would seek to obey his commands. Because that's a part of a love relationship. And Jesus said, how, how could you say that you don't love him? Or how could you say you call him Lord if you don't do what he says? So could you talk to me a little bit about tonight? And this is when he broke down crying. And get this. He, he said, Jason, no one has ever told me that before. I feel like I've been waiting for someone just to simply tell me the truth. It was very interesting. This was one of those divine moments. He had said a couple days earlier, he had just watched The Passion of the Christ and was hoping that when he headed out to the clubs tonight that just something would change, something would be different. And this was an answer to a prayer. And we hugged and he cried on my shoulder for some time. I mean, we just sat there, just embraced. Exchanged numbers, said, man, you get a hold of me. If you just need someone to talk to, I'll just be there to listen, cry. We'll work through anything, whatever. You encourage me, I encourage you. We'll learn from each other. And I don't know what ever happened to Reginald, but here's what I do know. And trust me, I am no hero in this story. But one of the things that I do know is that if I wasn't present, and rather than just lobbing bombs to another part of our city and calling it just a bunch of yahoos over there or over in the hood over there. If I wasn't present, 
then I wouldn't have been able to plant seeds of gospel hope. Presence is important, you guys. Presence is important. Jesus humbled himself. He identified with others. And he relinquished his own fleshly desires so that they may be saved. That's the ministry of presence. You guys know we've lost eight guys in our North Rogers Park Sunday night Bible study. James Crockett, what he leads in the last five and a half years now. Eight guys. Eight men gunned down from our North Rogers Park location. I'll never forget when one of the guys got gunned down. Two days later, I said, I'm going to the park. Up in North Rogers Park. I got Dylan with me. And I confess, sometimes when I was up there, and I've been up there and I am up there, (laughs) sometimes I'm scared a little bit because I'm just afraid of, that's where the bullets are flying in our community. I'm afraid of something happening, and what if Dylan gets hit? But you know what? I know all them guys in the Bible study. And if I'm not there with them, I'll never forget that that afternoon when I was there with Dylan. We're playing around, just him and I, and one of the guys walks by, and you know what he said to me? He says, I see you, Jay. I see you. Ministry of presence, hands-on, able to touch and maybe be touched. If Jesus has called us to be fishers of men, which means fishers of those outside of this building, then it's about time we start smelling a little fishy. And so this means that we've got to be present Mixing it up in our community, on our block, to our neighbors, to your cl- in your classroom, at your workplace. So much so that maybe you would be accused too of being called the friend of sinners. And this is what I love about Jesus. You know what I love about Jesus? Some of my favorite humor is being uncomfortable and watching other people be uncomfortable. I don't know why that gets me going, but it just is. Jesus makes you uncomfortable, doesn't he? Because you don't know what to do with him. You don't know if he's Republican or Democrat. You don't know if he's conservative and you don't know if he's liberal. You have no idea, do you? Well, hopefully you don't have an idea. But one reason besides that, and one reason why (laughs) you just don't know what to do with Jesus, is that besides the religious leaders, those who weren't like Jesus liked him. Isn't that very interesting? He was invited over for table fellowship a lot. If you read the Gospels, it shows up all the time. That's when you become a friend, by the way. When you have been earned enough time to be invited to the cookout. Now I hope that we're inviting friends over for dinner. But what I'm really interested in in my own life, in my family's life, is that are they inviting you? So it's in the name. During this 40 days of presence... We're reminding ourselves to be present. Because say it with me again. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Second, we're going to pray. We only got about two and a half more pages here, so hang in there. Second, we're going to pray. For what? Forty days. Stop here and pull over now and give the plug for this week's prayer times. 
from 6.30 to 7.30 every morning, we're going to be praying at Rogers Park Community Church on the corner of Ridge and Tui. Rogers Park Community Church from 6.30 to 7.30, Monday through Friday. On Saturday, we're going to be doing a prayer walk through West Rogers Park that Phil is going to be leading at 9 o'clock. So we're going to be meeting in Warren Park, and we're going to be praying together. 40 days of intentional prayer for spiritual awakening in our city. For violence to cease, for peace to prevail, for your neighbor to know Jesus, for our schools to flourish, for God's word to be cherished, for the spirit of the poor to be lifted up, for racial reconciliation to take place, and for the church to be all who she's called to be. You don't have to read very far in the Gospels that Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer. It was all during the day and up all night even. Why? Why? You know, sometimes we observe Jesus doing things, but we don't ask the question, why was he doing them? It's because he knew the character of the conflict and the demand that it had on him. And it's the same for us that hell is all against God's mission. And that Satan, yes, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they don't see the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ. Satan has blinded unbelievers so they don't see And us being the church, it's so serious. I think of Paul giving his testimony before King Agrippa in Acts 26. Where he talks about what Jesus had sent him to do. And Jesus had sent him, he said, as he's giving his testimony before Agrippa, a non-follower of Christ. Just laying it all out there. He said he had sent him to open people's eyes to turn them from darkness to light, to turn them from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who've been sanctified by Christ. We have been sent out literally to open people's spiritual eyes. That's why where you live now, that's your job. You've been sent and placed at that spot. It's like a salt and pepper shaker. We'll just call it salt shaker because we're salt of the earth. I I love thinking about it when we're all just kind of sprinkled all throughout the community. I know where most of you live, like all of that. And it's just awesome. But we're to do some shaking to open spiritual eyes. And we got to pray because the spiritual battle is real. Very difficult. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Very challenging. And personally, you know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about my own prayer life. And I can say whatever I want to say, but if I'm not spending much time in prayer, then first of all, you know what that signals to me is that I'm not delighting in God. Because frankly, if I'm in this love relationship with God, the king of the universe, then if I'm not praying, that means I'm not spending a whole lot of time with him because that's what prayer is. It's just really a conversation that I'm having and that he's having with me and he's making himself known and he's directing. And if I'm spending little time in prayer, I'm not going to find him directing the mission and I'm definitely not going to see him blessing the mission. It's no wonder Paul says in Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Because through prayer, we've been given access to headquarters to receive power to advance the cause. That's why we're going to pray for 40 days straight and beyond every day with 15 other churches and ministries here in the north side of Chicago. So far, our missional activity includes being present 
which means this. Don't get caught up in the bigness of the mission of God, although it is, right? It's massive. Go make disciples of all nations. But be present. You know what this is? Just be an awesome neighbor. Be an awesome neighbor. We're going to be present. We're going to pray. And third, proclaiming. If we're sent like Jesus was sent, then no doubt we have some good news to share. Mark chapter 1 captures this succinctly. Jesus went into Galilee preaching the good news. And he said it this simply was his message. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your old way of life. Turn from those idols. Turn from those gods that are only using you and abusing you. Turn from the sin that's got you entangled and has got you all in a mess. And turn to the king who loves you and will deliver you and adopt you into his family. And it's here reminded that the gospel is a proclamation. The gospel, you guys, is a news pronouncement. It's bad news, good news. The bad news is, is that God is going to judge unless there's repentance. But the good news is, is that God will rescue you, adopt you as, you own, as your own, make you righteous, give you a future hope, and have a relationship with him if you repent and trust in Christ. That's incredible news. And so we're going to have some opportunities through our 40 days by divine appointments, if God would grant them, to have these kind of conversations. We've got our soccer camp coming up this Wednesday. We're going to be out doing spiritual surveys in the community. And on Friday, we're going to be doing those flip charts at the red line stops that I was talking about that we were used to do in Boys Town. We're going to be out there asking the question, what do you want to say to the church and what do you want to say to Jesus and see what God does with that. We're going to be at Loyola, we're going to be at Howard, and we're going to be at Morse at 7 o'clock. So I encourage you to come on out and we'll do a little training prior to that. But if the gospel is such good news, then why don't we share? Well, I'm glad you asked. Andy? Can you guys, I don't know if you guys can read that, but I'm going to go through it. These are ten top reasons of why we don't share. That I've gathered over the years, asked other people, and that I'm susceptible to. And the number one is I haven't been equipped or I don't know what to say or how to start a gospel conversation. And that is totally can be true. That's what we have to do as a church. That's our job is to equip the saints to have gospel conversations. So in the meantime, if that's you, I just want to encourage you to share what you got. Just share what God has done for you. Second, I'm afraid of looking foolish. Have you ever been in that pickle before? Where the conversation seems really high or just not really sure how to answer or whatever. But you know where that usually comes from. It's just a fear of like, that's a pride thing. I'm just afraid of looking foolish, you know. Again, share what you know. I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's the pastor's job. I'm afraid of how people or my work will respond. I might get fired even, or, that's the, or how the relationship will change with my family member if I share. Those are real fears. I don't spend time with non-Christians. You guys, I just want to stop here for a second. Some of us got to break out of the holy huddle. We got to get out of the Christian bubble, if you know what I mean. You got to see about making some new friends. Do you know what I mean? We can't share the gospel if we don't have non-Christian friends. We've got to go hang out and meet some new people. I have doubts or personal pain. I'm too busy right now or just indifferent. I love the honesty of that. Sometimes I'm in that place. I'm just not even thinking about it. But predominantly we talked about what keeps us on the bench and the mission of God and I think it's the last one. Christ isn't being cherished in our heart. We talk about Theological reasons, ecclesiological reasons for not sharing maybe. But some of us just our own reason. Because we don't proclaim that which we don't praise. As the Father has sent me, even so 
I'm sending you. During our 40 days of presence, we want to be present. We're going to get ready to close. We want to pray. We want to look for opportunities God is sending our way to proclaim. And finally, we want to pour ourselves out in good deeds, which brings us back to our example of Jesus. And it's consistent all the way in how people described his mission. It's when Peter was having a conversation with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And he was describing Jesus' ministry. And he says how he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power and get this, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus went around doing good, healing and restoring, giving glimpses of the life which is to come in his forever kingdom. And now we can't do a deep dive into a cultural analysis of why a certain people group of a certain people grew in this of a certain people group in the city. But if I was to pinpoint the main reason now and our day and time is why we need to be as God's people out doing good, is that people today are from the show me. Are they not? With all the ministry scandals over the years, many churches, many many people's experience of church being cold shallow, legalistic, or even hypocritical. People today are looking for the real deal. They want to know what kind of difference Jesus has made in our life and how it's affected the way that we treat a community around us. We've got to be out doing good. And may we make such an impact in these 40 days that when we serve our city for its everlasting good, people may ask the question, why in the world are they doing that? There's nothing in it for them. Which means they must have an all-satisfying Savior that they serve. May God even go so far as to grant us this kind of a witness that we can say along with the Second century Roman church leader, Minucius Felix, in the early church, the movement of the gospel was so beautiful. And he said this about what was happening in the life of the church. He said, beauty of life causes strangers to join our ranks because we do not talk about great things. We live them. So let's go. So let's go. In light of the full and forever, you have the wind of the Holy Spirit at your back. And he is at work to empower you and enlighten others through the gospel, through your presence and your praying and your proclaiming and your pouring out. And in these next 40 days, take it to the bank. In faith, believe what God is doing, that he is still calling to himself through his people and his power, all faces from all races from all sorts of spaces and places as we cling to the cross as our basis. This is our story for the praise of his glory. As the Father has sent me, even so he is sending you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for helping us to get through all that. And Father, really just to be reminded of the fundamentals of what your church is to be about. Yes, we're to gather together and encourage one another in our walk with you and grow up into Christ and maturity. But Father, it's for the purpose of us being sent out into the world to be a part of your mission. I pray that you drill into our hearts even more uh, this idea of us being sent. We are your sent ones. And may in our sentness we arouse admiration for the one who loved us and gave himself for us so that they may know his love too. Encourage us, I pray, Father, to keep going out and to keep pouring out, to keep speaking the name of our King the one who is drawing all peoples to himself. It's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen.